welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Welcome, welcome to Fender Bender Fridays. As you know, on Fridays, we talk about things where people get hurt. Hope that's not going to ever happen to you. But the likelihood is somehow, with all the foibles of man and the things that go around and come around, you may find yourself injured because someone didn't do what they should have done, or you did something you shouldn't do. There's any number of ways that, unfortunately, we can find ourselves injured. So the goal here is to obviously just ask you to be safe and pay attention and not get hurt. But then if it does happen and you do get hurt, well, okay, here's the discussion over and over again on Fridays is going to be to hopefully educate you and allow you to understand what you should do next. So here today, let's just get into it. I'm going to talk today about the concept of getting hurt because you fell down, because you slipped, because you tripped. You fell down and there are concerns about, well, why is it that you fell? Who owned the property? Who owned the property where you fell that allowed you to get hurt? Was it just that you weren't paying attention and you were what what we call a klutz? Well, okay, you know, some of us are, you know, kind of, uh, you know, out to lunch and we don't see things and we fall down. But in other situations, we're not doing anything necessarily wrong. We're paying attention. And then, oops, we get hurt. So in order to allow all of us now to kind of understand the, the legal setting, we need to understand some definitions. We're going to talk about a couple of cases here this morning And then after the break, I'm going to tell you what happened in these cases. But to begin the conversation, we need to discuss the definition of certain types of people in certain types of places. I think everybody knows the understanding and kind of uh, the definition, if you will, of a trespasser. If you're a trespasser on someone's property, the owner of that property has no legal duty, no legal requirement to make things safe for you. On the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, if you have been invited to come onto someone's property, well, then in that case, the owner of the property has to make sure that that things are safe so that you don't walk into a manhole or, uh, you know, that there's not a swarm of bees or something, you know, that you, uh, you know, would have to cross through to, to get into the property or onto the property safely. There's a case that came out of Missouri in 2015. The case is called Carter versus Kinney. And in this particular case, um, the, uh, the court uh, made a final decision about what happened where Ronald and Mary Kinney uh, had a Bible study class at their house for members of uh, their local church. And a gentleman by the name of Mr. Carter was a member of the church. He got to the 
Kenny's house around 7 o'clock in the morning on a February day for the Bible study class. So Mr. Kinney, uh, the night before, knowing that he had this class and this Bible study group coming up, he shoveled the driveway um, night before to just allow people to get up to the front door. He wasn't aware uh, that in the intervening period, the rest of that night into the early morning, that some ice had accumulated overnight. So when Carter got there, he slipped and he broke his leg. I bet that hurt. The church members uh, interested in attending the Bible study had all signed up at the church, uh, which encouraged the enrollment, uh, but there was no money being paid and um, uh, there was no general invitation to the public. So the Carters and the Kinneys had not engaged in any social interaction outside of the church before. And everyone agrees that the Kinneys, uh, the people who own the place, the house where the Bible study is going to take place, they didn't get any financial or other benefit from specifically from Mr. Carter in connection with this Bible study class. Now, these are all important concepts because uh, if the Kinneys were to have received money, that makes uh, the uh, the gentleman, Mr. Carter, uh, that, that takes him to a different legal status. This is just kind of a, you know, we're having a Bible study at our house, church members, everybody wants to, anybody wants to come, come on down. So the issue is, uh, does Mr. Does Mr. Carter, is his legal status, does that convey a, does that require, I should say, a standard uh, of care that the Kinneys must afford to him? Now, we begin with the definition of different types of people in this situation. We have trespassers, we have licensees, and we have invitees. A trespasser shouldn't be there. A licensee is someone who is allowed to come, and an invitee is someone who is invited to come. The entrance to... uh, particular property to a place uh, by a trespasser triggers absolutely no duty whatsoever on the part of the the owners of the property to make the property safe. There's no duty to someone who is a trespasser, comes onto your property or goes into, say, the food store, what have you. Individuals that uh, are licensees uh, to a premises, to a property, they have an, a, an interest in the visit. The owners, that is, have an interest in the visit such that the visitor uh, then would have a reason to believe that the premises are safe, that they've been made safe to receive him. The owner of a property owes a duty to the licensee to make uh, safe dangers uh, of which the owner is aware Uh, to make dangers safe, of which the owner is aware. So I know that if I'm an owner, let's just say, of a food store, that people are going to come in during the day. I've got to make things safe for them. Well, let's just divest from this case a little bit just to give you a little bit of education right now, even before the the break comes here in this little show of ours. Uh, We'll come back after and tell you what happened in this 
Carter versus Kinney case. But let's take an example of a food store. You know, we all go to the food store. We all go shopping. Well, unless uh, we have the luxury of uh, being very rich and we have everything delivered. That certainly isn't me. I like going to the food store. Well, I don't like it so much. I go to the food store when I need to. Okay. Forget me. The food store has a duty to keep the aisles safe. They must have uh, flooring that is such that when you walk through the food store looking for the peanut butter or the can of corn or the, you know, whatever it is that you're buying, the Cheerios, right? The food aside, the flooring has to be safe. It has to be such that you're not going to slip because there's liquid or jelly on the floor. Now, how do, how do we assure that it's safe? And here's the answer. There is no 100% guarantee. But what I've found in my career with slip and fall type cases in food stores is that if the food store acted in a reasonable manner to make sure that things were safe, then they would not necessarily be responsible. Most food stores have an employee literally take a clipboard every 15 minutes and go up and down the aisles and the employee puts a little check mark. Aisle one, clear. Aisle two, clear. Aisle three, clear. Now, if they've done that and then little Jimmy runs through and knocks over the the jelly in aisle two and the employee had just finished checking aisle two and it was all clear again and then little Jimmy comes after the employees out of that aisle The food store is not going to be responsible if someone falls on that jelly in aisle two. We cannot ask the food store to be a guarantor, to make sure 100% of the time in 100% of their floor surfacing that it's safe. The exception would be that, let's say little Jimmy ran through the employee doing the checking is now on line, uh, let's, let's say, uh, aisle four, aisle five. And another, another shopper notices that little Jimmy uh, caused the, uh, the, 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 the floor to be slippery because he knocked over the, the jar of, of jelly. The shopper then goes up to the manager and says, hey, this little kid just uh, knocked over something and aisle two is got jelly all over it. Well, in that situation, the store has the obligation to go back and clean that up right away as quickly as possible, or to at least put some signs up that say, hey, uh, danger ahead, you know, whatever, it's slippery floor, whatever they're going to do. This is the kind of thing that makes for very interesting cases as to what is the duty, what happened, and these things are always very fact specific. Let's go back just for a moment and let's talk about uh, the Carter versus Kinney case. So here's what happened, uh, as you can probably have figured out. So Mr. Carter came up to go to the Kinney's home and not knowing that there was ice on the sidewalk, he slipped and fell. Told you about that. Do the Kinney's have an obligation to make it safe. 
do they have a responsibility to, in particular this time, Mr. Carter, to make sure that he doesn't slip and fall when he is walking up towards their home to a place where he has been invited to come and do a Bible study? Someone who is an invitee, uh, when he has been invited, has, uh, with the expectation of benefit, mutual benefit, he'll get benefit out of the Bible study, and you know, I would imagine the Kinneys feel like they're going to give benefit for him being there. Um, does th- This extends this visit, uh, an invitation to the public generally, does it mean that he is going to be protected? So the question becomes, are the Kinneys responsible? Are they going to be responsible for Mr. Clark's, Mr. Carter? I said Mr. Clark. I can't even read my own notes. Well, that's what happens. It's early in the morning. Are they responsible for Mr. Carter? We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back and let you know. Don't. Don't lose your mind. It is not uh, the end of the world, but we are going to let you know. We are going to go on a break in just a moment, but I had to share two very short stories in the world of couples getting divorced. The first one, very short, uh, caught my attention in a, a journal that I read Uh, There was a couple arguing apparently for about three hours who were going to get visitation with the kids on Christmas Day. Uh, The couple was Jewish. Okay, then. Second one, uh, took a couple two hours to decide who was going to get groceries left in the refrigerator. The estimated value of the groceries was about $40.00 two hours of the time of two different attorneys and a mediator added up to about $1,000. Apparently, the uh, the real uh, problem was a uh, Sam's Club-sized jar of peanut butter. Ooh, boy, I'll tell you. Um, animosity? Stupidity? Like, okay, give her the peanut butter, Fred. Come back after the break. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter? or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. 
If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. Did you grab your uh, your your bag of Fritos to uh, entertain yourself during the second half here? All right, so we're talking about the uh, the gentleman, Mr. Uh, Carter, who broke his leg walking up to the Kinney's house uh, because he fell on ice in the morning after uh, the Kinney's had shoveled the night before to make it safe for their Bible study class they were holding at their house that morning. So are the Kinney's responsible to Mr. Carter for his broken leg? We're going to get to that. I share with you a couple other real quick stories, some other cases to kind of give you a, you know, a real quandary here. What's the answer? Are, are the Kinney's responsible? Well, let's go to Minnesota for a case that was, that, that took place out in Minnesota. You got a, a guy who probably isn't the brightest uh, tool in the shed to start with, but uh, we got Mr. Sheehan who's walking along the railroad tracks right? Not too bright. Walking along the railroad tracks. So the St. Paul and Duluth Railroad Company owns the railroad tracks. And wouldn't you know it, Mr. Sheehan falls and his right foot is stuck in the tracks. And he is uh, squirming and yelling and screaming and nobody's around. He can't get his foot out. And all of a sudden, well, you guessed it, Chugga, 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 chugga. Woo, woo, here comes the train. And he didn't get his foot out. The train ran over his track, ran, ran right over his foot. Well, he doesn't have that foot anymore, I'm guessing. Is the railroad company responsible to Mr. Sheehan? I think you figured that out already. Absolutely not. Why not? Legally, Mr. Sheehan is a trespasser. The railroad has absolutely no duty whatsoever to a trespasser to make it safe or to be safe or to protect him. Uh, I feel bad for Mr. Sheehan. My guess is that he's going to be telling his buddies not to be walking on the railroad tracks. I want to talk about a case in Nebraska. This is a very interesting case. We've got a case by the name of Hines versus the Webster County. Uh, Webster County is um, uh, a situation where they own a hospital and you've got Mr. Hines who is there uh, coming into the hospital after a heavy snowfall. So he's there um, and his, uh, with his wife and they, they are there to visit their daughter, Julie. Julie is in the hospital for some type of ailment or getting well, who knows, not important to this case, but Mr. Hines and his wife are there to visit the daughter. It happens all the time. Now, in that situation, uh, very clearly, they are licensees. They're people who have a license to be there. They have a right to be there to go visit little Julie. Maybe Julie isn't so little. I don't know how old Julie was. She could have been an older lady. Who knows? Again, not important. But 
Mr. Hines is there for another reason. He's there because he's agreed to play Santa Claus. So he's going to have a room or an area set up in the lobby someplace where the little kids can line up and get up on his lap and he'll ho, ho, ho them and, you know, tell them Merry Christmas. So he's there as a licensee to visit his daughter and he's there as an invitee. The hospital is going to have a benefit by having Mr. Hines there playing uh, Merry Old Nick. Well, Mr. Hines falls. It's slippery getting into the hospital on the uh, the walkway to get into the front door of the hospital. Is the hospital responsible for him? Is it responsible for his injury? A very interesting ruling here. The court basically threw out the discussion as to whether or not he's a licensee or an invitee. And it's a distinction in the law in a lot of different states around the country. A, a, an owner of property, in this case the hospital, has no duty to protect licensees from unknown dangers. So the court concluded here that the hospital did not know that there was ice and that people coming into the hospital might slip and fall. On the other hand, individuals and businesses that own properties do have a duty to invitees to make sure that they are safe from known and even unknown dangers. So is this a case where he's a licensee and they didn't have an obligation because they didn't know about the ice? Or is this guy, Mr. Hines, the would-be Santa Claus in their hospital lobby coming up soon, is Mr. Hines an invitee where the hospital is responsible to clear out the ice even if they didn't know about it? So they should have somebody out there every hour, whatever the standard might be. So a very interesting case out in Nebraska where this happened. The court threw out the distinction. They said, we don't care. We expect the hospital to have reasonable care for the protection of their lawful visitors, their lawful visitors. And an invitee and a licensee are both lawful visitors. So the court said, yeah, you know what? doesn't matter whether he was invited or whether he was just visiting his daughter. We expect the hospital to take the steps necessary and protect this guy, make sure he doesn't fall down from ice. And we may not know that ice accumulated. Uh, if it's in July, of course, that's not going to ever be a concern. But this happened in the winter months. So common sense is that, yeah, there might be some ice accumulation. Let's send somebody out there once every hour or so and just make sure. Even though we're not specifically aware that there might have been ice accumulated during that last hour that we weren't out there. So good news for Mr. Hines the court ruled that he was entitled to compensation from the hospital, from the county that owned the hospital. All right, drum roll, please. We got to get back to uh, our Bible study uh, guy. Uh, um, this is what I love about the law. You know, you get a concept of what the law is, and you then have a concept of what the result should be based on the law. 
So I shared with you earlier some very important facts about this Bible study case where Mr. Carter fell down, broke his leg, and the Kinneys, uh, you know, went the night before, Mr. Kinney went the night before and shoveled to make sure that it would be safe. So here's the important part that the court relied upon for its ruling. They said that the uh, the the presence of Mr. Carter, uh, he had not paid anything to the Kinneys, so the Kinneys were not getting benefit financially. They made a determination that the Kinneys got really no value whatsoever out of having Mr. Carter there. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I think the Missouri court got this wrong. I, it's like, you know, if I'm having a Bible study class and I invite members of my church, I think there is a benefit to having all those folks come. Not one in specific, in particular, Mr. Carter, but what if nobody showed up? I think I'd feel bad. I'm going to have this Bible study, and lo and behold, the nobody shows up. Oh, wait a minute. There's Mary, and there's Sally, and there's Fred, and there's Bruce, and there's Mr. Carter. So now I've got some folks, and we can have our Bible study. I feel good. I'm not making any money on it, but you know, I feel good. I'm having this Bible study, and we're going to uh, share in our religion and our beliefs. I think that's a good thing. In this case, the court ruled in a way that I just frankly disagree with. They said that there is no duty to Mr. Carter, who they identified as a licensee, to make safe unknown dangers. What? You know, I- I'm sorry. I mean, I even disagree. I don't think he's a licensee. I think he's an invitee. I think he was invited, not him specifically, but to the church membership. I think he was invited. And the the court ruled that no, he's a licensee. So he wasn't invited. And again, we just talked about that a moment ago with the guy in the hospital, where the court, I think, intelligently there uh, in, um, in the situation where... Uh, you know, the, the gentleman's coming to visit his little daughter, Julie, and he's going to play Santa Claus. They said, we don't care that there's a difference in the law between invitee and licensee. We're throwing that out. He was there. He was lawful. And I think the court here in Minnesota, or excuse me, Miss Missouri for Mr. Carter, they should have either adopted that or they should have determined he was an invitee. The issue is known danger. Well, okay. So here Mr. Kinney says, I'm going to go out and shovel the night before to make sure it's safe for all those folks who are coming in to, uh, to talk about uh, the Bible and our religion and our beliefs. So why didn't he go back out there in the morning, you know, to the same thing? I mean, certainly overnight, you know, it's cold, it's snowy, it's rainy. Who knows what it's doing up there in, in Missouri? I just have a very upset over this case. I think that the, the Kinneys were responsible to Mr. Carter, but... The Missouri Supreme Court decided that they know better, and they said, no, he's a licensee. There was no duty to to make safe for unknown dangers. Even there, God, you know what? This is like just unknown dangers? Come on, use some common sense, Mr. Kinney. You shoveled the night before. Go out and look in the morning and see if it's accumulated. Anyway, that's the uh, that's the case that I talked about First half, Carter versus Kinney. Mr. Carter, broken leg. Mr. and Mrs. Kinney, not responsible. 
a little upsetting. I'm sure a lot more upsetting for him than it is for me from an academic and an intellectual standpoint. The lesson here, when we talk about slip and fall or fall down cases, first we have to determine the legal status of the individual who got hurt. Is that individual a trespasser in the event that the individual has no right to be there? Let's say he breaks into the grocery store in the middle of the night, it's closed, and he slips and falls and breaks his leg. The grocery store is absolutely not responsible. He's a trespasser. You're not so bright and you're walking on railroad tracks and you get hurt. Okay, you're a trespasser. No duty, no responsibility for the owner of the the grocery store or the owner of the railroad tracks. If you're a licensee, that means you have a right to be there. Well, pretty much uniform across the United States, the courts have determined that if you have a right to be there as a license, you're a lawful uh, person uh, doing lawful things, the owner has no duty to protect you against unknown dangers. If the owner doesn't know about it, all right, you know, they're not responsible. Now, if you've been invited, well, let me take a half step back. That would be like the, uh, the shoe salesman or the encyclopedia salesman coming up to your door and knocking on your door to try and sell you his, his, uh, his goods or his, his wares. No duty to that person to be responsible if the homeowner didn't know there was a hole in the sidewalk and a guy falls in the hole and gets hurt. No duty. But if he's invited, if you call up the, uh, the shoe store and you say, you know, I, uh, I'd like to have you send your salesman out here because I want to buy some shoes. Then you've got to go and check for things and make sure that when he does come, it's safe. So that's the invitee. Slip and fall cases are actually very interesting cases because when you go around the United States, you have different laws that deal with liability. Getting past the specific facts of the case as to whether you're invitee, licensee, trespasser, These slip and fall cases are very interesting because in some jurisdictions, we have what is known as comparative negligence, comparative negligence. That means we compare what the parties might have done wrong. So let's just take an example that says that the homeowner was negligent in not doing what he or she should have done and someone got hurt on their property, but that the person that got hurt or person got injured was also in some percentage negligent. Let's just assign 10% negligence to the person that got hurt. We can say that they should have been looking, but they didn't look, and therefore they got hurt. 10% of the reason that the individual is hurt is because they weren't looking. And that's always a question, by the way, for a court to assign a percentage. A jury would decide whether it's 10% or 20%. That's up to a jury to decide that. It's not just something that's fixed. It's a case-by-case analysis. But at the end of the case, let's say the person that got hurt would otherwise get $100. But wait a minute, they're 10% responsible. So that means they only get $90. Now that's in what, again, I call, the law calls comparative negligence jurisdictions. There are five states in the United States that have what is called contributory 
negligence. So if there's a contribution by the one who got hurt, even 1%, the law is very, very harsh. If you contributed to your own injury in a contributory negligence jurisdiction, you get zero. Zero. It's very harsh. Even 1% you contributed. Nothing. Not a zip. Those states are Washington, D.C., the jurisdiction. It's not a state yet, which is another discussion. Should be a state. People there pay taxes. Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland, and Kentucky, and Massachusetts are all contributory negligence states. So if you're even 1% responsible for getting hurt in an accident and something uh, that causes you injury in a state where the other one is 99% responsible, you're just 1%, you get nothing. Very harsh. Now, interestingly, over the last few years, there's been a real push in the state of Maryland to change, to become a comparative negligence jurisdiction. But for some reason, the legislature hasn't quite gotten there. So Maryland is still a contributory negligence jurisdiction. When we go into the concept of slip and fall with these ideas of did the person who got hurt uh, in some way contribute, the typical defenses are two. There is one, well, uh, were you looking where you were going? If the answer is yes, then the question becomes is, well, if you were looking, how come you got hurt? Why did you fall? You should have seen it. And if you say, no, I wasn't looking, then the insurance companies and the defense lawyers always pounce on that and say, well, you weren't looking, you should have been. So those defenses sometimes work. The other defense is what we call the assumption of the risk. The assumption of the risk. If you were on a 10-foot, 10-floor story building and you jump off, if your mind is in the place where it's supposed to be, you probably understand that you might get hurt when you hit the pavement. So you assume the risk. Uh, You know the the, the hot rocks uh, episodes where... uh, People take these tests to get into a, an organization and they have to walk across hot rocks. Well, they're assuming the risk of their injury. So they're not going to be able to sue the people that uh, put the rocks out to grant them membership into their club or organization. Slip and fall cases can be devastating. They can be very, very painful. People have died. You can have broken legs, broken arms, broken hips. I certainly hope that you never slip and fall and get hurt, but the thing that I would tell you is just be careful. Just be careful. And if something like this does happen to you, I have attorneys all over the country that would be happy to look at your case. We all work on uh, these injury-type cases on what is called a contingent fee basis, which means that we don't charge you anything until we recover money for you. So if you got hurt somewhere in a slip and fall, please feel free to contact me and I can connect you with an attorney who will be happy to look at your case and make a decision whether or not they believe that you can be compensated. Best wishes to you. Go out and help somebody. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. 
Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations. Thank you.